Number one, celebrate people. God sovereignly has put people, Acts 17, on your street with you. He decides the times and places we all have. He gives us each breath. So they're there with you. Whoever they are, get to know them, celebrate them. Secondly, serve them. So what's their biggest pressure? How do I actually, you know, by asking questions, I find out about my neighbours, make sure I welcome them to the street and work out what the pressures are. That's Pastor Rico Tice sharing about connecting with the people around you to reach them for Christ. Welcome to Refocus with Jim Daly, a podcast production from Focus on the Family. There are a growing number of nuns, N-O-N-E-S. It's a term used to describe people who don't claim a specific worldview in their lives. And we need all the encouragement we can get to share Christ with them. Uh, There are people we meet in our daily lives who haven't experienced the love of Jesus, and sometimes telling others about him can be intimidating. But we have a great opportunity to make a difference. God doesn't call us to be victims of a secular culture or to feel hopeless. We can be someone who helps to change the cultural tide rather than getting swept up in it. And I want to help you do that here at Refocus. you know, my experience in high school, I had a great football coach. Uh, he ended up sponsoring me to go to a fellowship of Christian athletes camp. He knew I didn't have the money as an orphan kid. I was living with my brother who was only seven years older than me at the time. And he just took an interest in me. You know, so often our faith comes down to just do what you could do with those around you who need help. And he did that as a coach. I think at the end of his life, When I talked to him, uh, he had moved to Arizona from California, continued coaching, became the winningest coach in Arizona. But I think he said he led over 600 of his athletes to the Lord over his tenure as a high school coach. And it was just awesome. So yeah, I went to the Fellowship of Christian Athletes camp and there was one of the professional athletes speaking one night and just really spoke to my heart. And I ended up walking forward and giving my life to the Lord. And, uh, you know, it was bumpy after that, but over the few years of later high school, early college, I kind of better understood that commitment I had made and and really gave my life fully to the Lord at about 22. So uh, I really owe so much to Coach Paul Morrow for that beginning and for his investment, literally, in me. Uh, Before we get into today's discussion, I want to invite you to ask me a question for the inbox segment. I'll answer a listener's question at the end of every episode. So please be thinking about the problems you see in the culture and the people you want to reach with the gospel. Then send us a voicemail by using the link in the show notes. On this episode of Refocus, Pastor Rico Tice will offer some simple, practical ways to share your faith. Sometimes that's a great help to us, just how we go about doing it. And uh, Rico is the co-founder of Christianity Explored Ministries. He's a popular speaker and has developed a Christianity Explorer course, which introduces people to Jesus all around the world. That sounds great. Uh, One of his books is called Honest Evangelism, and we'll draw from some of that content for the discussion on today's Refocus with Jim Daly. Let's start with that question about what does it mean to share the gospel? What is the gospel? Well, we're talking about Jesus. So uh, where I always go is 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 5, we preach Christ. And the word preach there is herald. So at the heart of the gospel is I'm speaking about Jesus. And I'm really looking to say three things about him. I'm talking about who he is, his identity, why he came, which is his mission, and what it means to follow him, which is his call. And I think it's as simple and as clear as that. I've got to preach Christ, but who do you think he is? Why do you think he came? 
what does it mean to follow him? And what's amazing, uh, Jim, is that as I speak of Jesus, this is what's extraordinary in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, in verse 6, as I talk about him, which just seems so pathetic, God takes the power that made the world and opens people's blind eyes and does a miracle and gets them to see who he is. Rico, let me ask you this, because that, yes, yes, in my soul, it's jumping, saying yes, yes. But why do we as human beings lack the courage so often to share the gospel, to talk about Jesus, the work he's done in uh, our individual lives, and to just be honest and open with the person in front of us? Well, in the book Honest Evangelism, I talk about the pain line, and, and there is a pain line we have to cross. There's a nervousness and there's a pain line because as we speak of Jesus, now let's not beat around the bush here, we are saying to people, you are not an owner in God's world, you're a tenant. It is his world. And that's offensive. You know, the aroma of Christ is offensive to people who are wanting to say, actually, this is my life. I'll live it rather than to be told, well, actually, each breath you get is a gift. Uh, Let me ask you this. In England, I mean, we watch from a distance, obviously, as your cousins across the pond, as we all like to say. But, um, you know, we've seen that steady decline in Europe from the U.S.'s viewpoint. And we've seen Christianity so marginalized What's that environment like in the UK and how difficult is it to be a Christian in the UK? Well, first of all, I think I want to say that it's a decline in nominalism. I mean, these people were never really Christians. My parents, and I love them dearly, but they're Winston Churchill Christians. That's what, what does that they mean? Were. Well, that means that part of the culture was being Anglican, um, Remembrance Sunday when we remembered the fallen, very important thing. But almost that was the most important Sunday of the year because it was about being English but it wasn't primarily about following Jesus. What do you think the aftermath of that nominal Christian approach has been in Europe? Well, it means that when it gets to the tough things, as the culture becomes more anti-Christian, for example, the uniqueness of Jesus, for example, the fact that the only place for sex is within marriage between a man and a woman, those things that the Bible says so clearly are things that actually the nominal people are not prepared to stand for. So church going has no longer is no longer something that's culturally acceptable. So actually, I see it as a good time, really, because what's happened is there's been a purification going on. But actually, if you look at the under 35s in England, um, the 11 percent that are Christian are much more serious. They're much more willing to open the Bible with their friends. So I'm not discouraged, actually, because there's been a purification. Mm. And I think we're seeing similar things here in the U.S. Uh, A researcher by the name of Ed Stetzer has pointed this out, the nominal Christians here in the U.S. And it's, I guess, where that scripture talks about the separating of the wheat and the chaff. Mm. I mean, if we're really committed to the Lord, that'll be self-evident because we'll be willing to express to people our love and our trust in him. Well, and the other thing is that Christian joy comes out of Christian obedience. I mean, amazingly, we're forgiven. But as we trust Christ to know what's best and as we follow him, the spirit gives us joy. Well, if you're not looking to obey, this isn't going to be very joyful. You've got to be someone whose life is one of repentance and faith. I keep saying, Lord Jesus, I'm sorry, I've got that wrong. Please send your spirit to help me change. You say to your wife, darling, you know, I'm trying to repent here. But actually, that's the joy of the Christian life. It's seeking to be obedient, to trust Christ, know what's best. Now, if you're not doing that, just going along on a Sunday, I think it gets pretty miserable. Hey, Rico, let me ask you this question. Um, So often people say to me, um, you know, I don't have that gift of evangelism, and I've never led anyone to the Lord. Uh, Talk about temperament and how that might play into your ability. An introvert may find it very difficult 
to talk to a stranger about something um, spiritual? Sure. Well, I think what we've got to see is the New Testament talks about evangelism in three different ways. So there is the evangelist whose job in Ephesians 4, 10 and 11 is to equip God's people for works of service. So my job at my church is to help the church family speak to their friends. There's then the pastor who in 2 Timothy 4 is to do the work of the evangelist. And then thirdly, all of us are to be witnesses. And by the way, the word witness has as its root the word martyr. So it's going to be uncomfortable. Mm. But my job, therefore, is to say to the church family, okay, let's start trying to speak to our friends. And I tend to say four things as I'm trying to get them going. Number one, celebrate people. God sovereignly has put people, Acts 17, on your street with you. He decides the times and places we all have. He gives us each breath. So they're there with you. Whoever they are, get to know them, celebrate them. Secondly, serve them. So what's their biggest pressure? How do I actually, you know, by asking questions, I find out about my neighbors make sure I welcome them to the street and work out what the pressures are. Thirdly, telling. that The third area, I'm then looking to find a question that actually, as I'm looking to say something Christian, having got to know a bit about them, actually engages with the pain line. So, for example, um, there's a guy at the end of the street who loves his plants and flowers. He's watering them all the time. <laughs> and uh, I'm just looking to say to him one day, as my son loves to go and water the plants with him, just to say to him, Kevin, um, where do you think... I mean, I know you love flowers. Where do they come from? I mean, where are you on nature? Now, actually, as I ask that question, I'm slightly nervous because we're opening up. Well, where are you spiritually? Right. But the fourth thing I tend to say to people as I'm as I'm designing the right question is also exiting. When you know, in in Matthew 10, when Jesus says, "Wipe the dust off your feet," it means that if the guy then is hostile, that's fine. Go back to the plants, but make sure you've got a question for each person that just actually could end up with hunger it could end up with hostility it takes a risk you might be rejected but what's the question for each person that you get to know so for example the flat above me they've just done a huge renovation in london it's been going on for months and i can tell one of the guys uh, who's there it's a, a gay couple that that are there i can tell despite this massive renovation he still hasn't got any peace so i'm going to say to him i'm going to say mate you know uh, despite all this building work, I don't think you found peace yet. Mm. So it's just a question that opens up a chat. If they don't want to take it further, you know, if I hit hostility, fine. I am in one level risking the relationship, but I might find hunger. And what's amazing in London at the moment is you might get hunger, you might get hostility. You just don't know until you try. Right. And let me ask you this. Not long ago in the New York Times, uh, there was a story that I read that really caught my attention. It was about... Um, people breaking down the barrier for transgenderism. And the way they were doing it is transgendered people were going door to door, in essence, evangelizing their cause. And this was a, a research study that showed that by talking to these people door to door, they had more buy-in to the position mm -hmm. of the transgendered people. And I thought to myself, wow, Lord, there's a lesson. Well, and Jim, I think this particularly on the street is where the doctrine of God's sovereignty is massive. I've got to believe that God has put me on the street and he's put them on the street as well in order that they be reached. That's the message of Acts 17, 24 to 28. He decides the times and places in order that they be reached. Now, once I believe that my neighbors have been put there to be reached, it gives me the confidence to start celebrating them. Yeah. So I think that, I mean, you know, those people who've got the courage to door knock, you know, when someone opens the door, let's try and get to know them. Let's celebrate who they are. And we're in a culture that's increasingly individualistic. So actually, when you know someone's name, 
when you find out about them, when you find out how their business is going, when you're not competing with them, but you're just trying to celebrate, then actually it makes a huge difference. Now, what's interesting in England, there's just been a massive survey called Talking Jesus Done, which found that actually 69% of people have a Christian friend in England they like. Now, only 20% of that 69% actually want to know more spiritually, but they like us because we are bothering to get to know them. And no yeah. one else is. Which is different in the culture. People aren't going out of their way to exactly. you know, celebrate people. So the guy next door to me, he's 82 and he, you know, he loves motor racing. I'm not a petrol head. I don't really get it. But I mean, <laughs> I'm beginning to find out about it now because Michael's into it. Now, that's what you do. Just have a doctrine of creation that means you celebrate them, find out what their pressures are. And actually, people really appreciate that. Now, in this country, and I think it sounds like in Europe as well, and in the UK specifically, there seems to be greater polarization at every yeah. level. It's socioeconomic, it's political, it's uh, neighborhood to neighborhood. Uh, people are divided in this country, and it kind of creates a barrier, even for the Christian community, to be willing and courageous enough to break through that, to talk to people. It's like, you know what? My life is busy. My day is busy. I'm raising my kids. I don't got time to engage people at a barbecue or, you know, really? Well, I, and brother, you know, I think that goes back to our prayer life. I mean, I really do think that, I mean, John, I worked at All Souls with John Stott for 17 years and he got up at 10 to 5 each morning and slept for half an hour each afternoon. I adopted one of those two habits myself, but, <laughs> but you know, he was somebody who prayed for the people around him. And I think if we're praying, then that does something to our heart. The Lord opens up a door. But I pray that I'll have a real love for these people, that I'll right. be wanting to celebrate them. And I think, therefore, God's sovereign. He's put you at the barbecue next to this person. Find out about them. Ask questions. And, you know, as you do that, just ask the Lord, say, Lord, you know, is there a question I can ask that just sees where they are spiritually? Yeah, so often, Rico, we turn it into a competition, though. Um, we can be offended if a person isn't willing to be open to the discussion. So we find the hook, but then we get irritated with the rebuttal. Mm. And how, how do you calm yourself and not let your emotions, your humanness kind of take over the moment and let the Lord flow through you? Well, so that Jim, that's a great question, and it's so fundamental because we are promised there's going to be rejection. Our Lord Jesus was rejected. We're aliens and strangers in the world, 1 Peter 1. So therefore, the key issue is this. Is my identity in the grace of God? In other words, whether you accept or reject me does not make me more valuable. What makes me valuable is Christ died for me. Now, as Tim Keller says, you know, it's like those old-fashioned Coke machines. You, you can get that in at the top, but you've got to knock it to get it down into your heart, you know, because <laughs> right. you, you feel the, the money going down. Well... Do I really believe that my identity is in Christ? So, you know, as I wake up each morning, how does God feel about me? He's delighted with me. Why is he delighted with me? He's delighted with me because he's delighted with Jesus. And I relate to God through Christ's performance, not my own. Now, when I start really believing that, whatever reaction I get, I'm secure. Right. You're calm. Yeah, I'm calm. You don't and have I to know, take it And personally. I know I'm loved. I mean, Victor Hugo said, life's greatest uh, a joy is to know that you're loved. Let, let me put this to the test. Family members can be the most difficult people to talk oh, yeah. to about the Lord. And you have a story about that in your own family. Um, how, yeah. how does that work within the close quarters of people who know you well? Well, brother, obviously, it's, it, mine's a story of failure. I mean, I, I, what put me into the ministry was watching my grandmother die in 1988. Mm. And she died absolutely persuaded, as so many English are, that because she was a good person, God would accept her. Mm. So there was no need of Christ. And 
as I was with my grandmother as she died, I didn't speak to her about the Lord Jesus. And the reason I didn't was I, I feared more what my parents would think of me and my family would think. And so as I reflected on that, I loved myself more than her. And that's why I didn't speak with her. What's interesting is she was such a doting grandmother. She wouldn't have minded what I said, I think. Oh. But I, I didn't speak to her because my identity wasn't secure. And because I had this idol, this idol of wanting to be accepted, wanting to be respected in my family. And, you know, we're not going to be speaking about the gospel until we've actually unpicked some of the idols. Mm. You know, why am I not speaking? If I'm apathetic about this, what are the good things that have become God things that my life is really about? This is really good stuff from Rico Tice. And I want to break in here for just a moment to point you to some incredible resources that will help you share Christ with family and friends. In your episode notes, we've provided a link uh, to a couple of video series, one from John Stone Street and another from Bible teacher Ray Vanderlaan. Uh, these short videos will better equip you to address controversial issues and bring God's peace into our troubled culture. Uh, they'll help you to speak to others with grace and compassion, also the truth. Uh, so check out these two video series by clicking on the link in the program notes. Now let's get back into the conversation with Rico. Rico, I think sometimes we feel like we've got to have it all buttoned down, you know, be perfect. There's that pressure to having everything just right in our lives. And we may even think, uh, I've made so many mistakes. How do we get over that hurdle? Brother, we've got to remember the qualification for being Christian is not are you good enough, but are you bad enough? You know, it's amazing when we run Christianity Explored, which is basically just this journey through Mark's gospel. We just let the gospel tell the gospel. You ask any question you like. But week three tends to be the crunch week. And I begin by saying Jesus in Mark 2 verse 17 said, I didn't come to call the righteous but sinners. In other words, the qualification for being here is not are you good enough, but are you bad enough? I became a Christian because I'm a bad man and I needed forgiveness. So therefore, in my family, I just think the issue is to be honest about it. You know, I'm working on this. I'm sorry about that. I, I admit these things. So and the reason I come to Jesus is I need help. And I think it's very disarming when there's that honesty and we mustn't be too presented. You know, the English are classic on this. I mean, you know, we just get so presented and up ourselves. It's hopeless. And what we've got to do is just be straight about what's going wrong and saying, look, I'm, I'm trying to work on it. And I think with anybody, that level of honesty is disarming. And can I say again, it begins at the start of the day as I look at the Bible, as I see my wrongdoing, as I say, Lord Jesus, I'm so sorry, as I, I see my sin afresh, the Bible's like a mirror, I, I'm sorry. There's that moment of like the prodigal coming back to him when I say, Lord, forgive me. There's that moment of being embraced. It's the most glorious moment in Christian faith as I ask for forgiveness then I repent and I try to get going again. Well, I think we've got to bring that not just vertically, but horizontally. Mm. Ah. So when we're getting stuff wrong, we say, look, hands up, I'm sorry. Uh, Rico, um, you talked about talking to the family. Um, my wife, Jean, she's the only Christian in her family. Uh, there's uh, four other siblings and her mom passed away not long ago. And uh, she did something even back with her mom and dad when uh, they were both alive called a family conference, and my wife's a biochemist by training, so she's very scientific. So she called the family meeting and went out to California and sat everybody down in the living room and went through a very detailed explanation of the gospel and talked about the Lord. She had one brother put his hand up and say, Jeannie, I love you, but I'm an atheist. I don't believe any of this. Um, that's the pain line you're talking about, right? Define that pain line 
that you mentioned a while ago, when you put yourself out there and you get virtually no response back, at least what you could see. Well, that's right. And what must happen is when we, I mean, I find with new Christians, they've just come to faith, they bounce up to their family and then they get a knockback like that. And they think they've done something wrong. And they really haven't. They've just given people the opportunity to hear. Mm. And what I find in England is people get knocked back. They hit the pain line a couple of times and then they say evangelism is not for me. Because I, it's, I can't because do it's it. painful. I can't do it because I'm too nervous or, or this feels uncomfortable. What and should I, that person do when they hear that in their heart? What's the next step they should well, take? Well, brother, sister, you've got to keep going. I mean, you know, we've got to say, Lord, I believe in the Holy Spirit. Help me to love these people, but I'm going to sp- keep speaking. Now, it's very interesting in, in Acts chapter 18. I think almost the key verses in Acts are verses 9 and 10, where um, Paul is told by the Lord in a vision, keep speaking, I'm with you. He's sovereign, he's in control, so your wife is going on speaking, God bless her. If a brother puts his hand up and says that, but I'd also say, you know, she's had a go, wipe the dust off your feet at one level, so come out of it. Don't think you've got to keep going. If someone said, look, I'm an atheist, I don't want any more, well, fine, she's giving him the opportunity. But don't stop crossing the pain line and saying to people, do you celebrate Christmas? Would you come and do that with me? I mean, in England, that's still culturally acceptable to ask anyone to come and celebrate Christmas. Mm-hmm. So I'm keeping saying to people, do that. The big issue we've got, because Christianity is less acceptable, is trying to train the churches to say, look, would you like to look at the Bible with me? So just confidentially, individually, we'll just look together. We'll just be Bible sharers. Let me just open the Bible. We'll, we'll just look at a passage. I'll ask some questions. I'm not the teacher. The Bible's the teacher. But let's have a look. Now, if you can get to that, where again, it's a big pain line to say, do you want to have a look at the Bible? But they can just say yes or no. Right. You're not going to, you'll still hopefully be breathing after that question. Yeah, although I've got to tell you, the first time it happened with me, I mean, so I'm, I'm at rugby training. I'm 20 years old. I've come from a tobacco family. I'm not from a Christian home. It's my second year at college. And um, I'm literally lining up for a drill at rugby training. And this guy called Andy Roberts, at, at, who's right next to me, says, I've had a terrible summer. I said, oh, Andy. He said, yeah, he said, my brother was killed in a farming accident. I said, mate. He said, yeah. He said, my brother was a Christian. I said, your brother was a Christian. He said, yeah. He said, it's made me think. I said, and it just came out before I knew it. And I said, well, do you want to look at the Bible with me? And he went, yeah, okay. So I didn't know what I was going to do, but someone had told me Isaiah 53 was good. Did you know that? Apparently it's good. (laughs) So I got my four questions. I went round to his flat in Redland in Bristol in England, and I knocked on the door and went in. And I started reading Isaiah 53 with my questions. And I started sweating. I was so nervous. I was sweating. He said, Rika, you're sweating all over the Bible. I said, no, I'm fine. I'm fine. Because <laughs> you I hadn't done this before. Never done it before. <laughs> I asked him the four questions. He's a typical ruggerhead. He goes, yeah, no, no, yeah. So we're finished in two minutes. Then I say a little prayer. And then I said, do you want to do it again? He said, yeah. He said, are you going to sweat so much next time? Now, actually, <laughs> I'm just saying when you start, it's scary. But Andy and I were friends. And I, I was the only guy I think he knew who was Christian. Mm. Now, can I say we're in a culture where people aren't really trusting the pastors any longer. Mm. So it's the friends they trust. So just say, look, do you want to have a look at the Bible? I'm no expert, but I've got some questions here. We'll let the Bible teach us to see how it goes. Let me ask you this. When you get the question that you can't answer, so many times Christians will attempt to answer the question and they fumble Great and question. maybe give the wrong answer what should you do when you really don't know the answer oh brother Mm -hmm. tell them you don't know so i always say the cults have all the answers you know they've drilled people they've got all the answers if i don't know i say well that's a great question i don't know 
I'll come back to you. But that's what I love about the Christian Explored course, that, you know, we're on a journey together. We'll say, look, come back next week and I'll try and find something for you. Yeah, just answer honestly. Yeah, and we begin the course with the question, you know, if God was here and you could ask him any question, what would it be? So we start with, look, what are your questions? We want to listen. And of course, people come up with stuff and you're going, my dear friend, I've got no idea what to say to that. That's desperate suffering. Mm. But we're then on a journey looking at Jesus and looking at Jesus in Mark's gospel, but at the same time trying to bring their experience to bear uh, as we look at the creator of the world. You know, Rico, you talk about identity, mission, and call as, uh, I guess, the three core things to the gospel. Explain that. Well, there are three great truths about Jesus that we have to investigate, and I'll frame them in terms of questions. Who is Jesus? That's his identity. Is he just a man? Or is he God's son, the son of God? And in Mark 1, verse 1, we're told the beginning of the gospel about Jesus Christ, the son of God. But what's interesting is the disciples are blind. They can't see who Jesus is. So the question is, can you? And then the next question is, well, why did he come? When he went to the cross, was it just a Galilean carpenter dying? Or did he die for me in my place for my wrongdoing? So again, what do you see as you see the cross? Is he dying there in your place? Or do you just think it's this Galilean carpenter dying? So number one, identity, who is Jesus? Secondly, mission, why did he come? But thirdly, call, what does it mean to follow him? And Mark 8.34 says, take up your cross and follow him, obey him. So all over America on Sunday morning, there are people who go to church and they wander in and they say, okay, I'm bowing to God as my creator, but I'm not kneeling before Jesus as Lord. And what does it mean to follow him? It means to trust him to lead me in every area of my life. And so it's working out those three things about Jesus, identity, mission, call. And amazingly, in Mark's gospel, and this is what we do in Christianity Explored, just about every verse is about one of those three things. Mm. And people are blind to it. They can't see it. So can you see it? And that's the journey and the drama of Mark. And that's why we love teaching it. And I think um, it's one of the core things here at Focus on the Family. Of course, we're dealing with marriages and difficulty in marriages. We're dealing with parents who are struggling with prodigal children all of those things that are normal life issues, but at the core of Focus's heartbeat is reaching people for Christ so they can start that relationship with him, um, find salvation in him, and begin to sort out the difficulties that they're having in their life. Uh, It's a pretty good thing to do, isn't it? Well, I thank God for you, brother, and thank you again for the help you've been in Britain to get things started as well with the family work we're doing there. Just to say on that, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think Colossians 3 verse 13 is a massive verse. Bear with one another. Forgive whatever grievances you have against each other. Well, how, how am I meant to do that? Forgive as the Lord forgave you. Yeah. So the mechanism of reconciliation is the cross. And I always say to people, there are two phrases in family life, in married life, that are absolutely crucial. And they are, I'm sorry I was wrong, and that's okay, I forgive you. And that brings in the cycle of forgiveness. And the cross is what enables me to do that. I look at what I've been forgiven by God, and then I can forgive others, and I can ask for forgiveness. You know, Rico, it sounds like you are a broken, humble person, that you recognize you're a sinner saved by grace. How did that happen? Um, You mentioned your first time explaining to your friend about the gospel, but how did that happen for you? Who reached out to you? Well, well, interestingly, it was the death of a loved one. So on the 6th of August, 1982, I wasn't from a Christian home. I was at an English boarding school, and my godfather was killed in a cliff fall. A cliff fall? A cliff fall, yeah. He'd emigrated to Canada. He had a little boat. He moored at a small island, went for a walk, 
there was a tree that had fallen across a cliff path. He tried to climb over the tree, slipped and fell off the cliff and fell to his death. That was the first time I saw my father weep. And I realized no one in my family had any answer to his death. And a maths teacher said to me, when Christ rose from the dead, he rose to get you through death. And I remember thinking, if that's true, it's huh. the most important thing in the world. Yeah. Then at the same time, interestingly, I thought I was such a great guy. I owed it to the world to record my life. So I'd kept this diary night after night. And I found out I was a total idiot. So that was an amazing experience, too. You know, I'd write in the diary, wouldn't it be wonderful if there was world peace? Yet I'd never lay aside the weapons of malice and sarcasm I used in my own self-defense. I'd write in the diary, you know, wouldn't it be great if the starving were fed, but I'd ask my parents for a larger allowance and eat it. And, and you know, I just saw in myself there was this massive gap between the real and the ideal. Years later, I, I read in Romans, Paul writes, I don't do the good I want to do. You know, the evil I don't want to do this, I keep on doing. And and again, this mass teacher then said, in, as I took that diary and I spoke to him, he said, look, when Christ died on the cross, he died that you could be forgiven. And I've never really moved from those two experiences. Jesus died on Good Friday so I could be forgiven my guilt. And he rose on Easter Day so I could have hope in the face of death. And for me, the next 30 years have been about telling people that. Uh. And, and the Lord Jesus is the one who can do this. But then as he dies on Good Friday, he dies so we can forgive each other. So can I say again, for family life, I'm sorry I was wrong. That's okay, I forgive you, or that's okay, I love you. Those phrases, that is the cycle that keeps intimacy. Because if you're not saying that, what happens is sin puts the Great Wall of China up between you. So people at my church, single people, they come to me and they say, I'm lonely, and I say, no, you're not. They say, no, I'm lonely. I say, no, no. The people in bad marriages are really lonely. Mm. And the heart of that is we're not forgiving each other. So I look at Jesus and I have grievances, Colossians 3.13, but forgive whatever grievances, forgive as the Lord forgave you. So that is the heart of what keeps me forgiving. And it keeps the intimacy both with the Lord and with my wife and family. Well, and it keeps you in a humble place, which is a good place. Rico, in our culture, and I think it's very similar in the UK, um, these divisions that we have, the worldly uh, feeling, the worldly tools kind of seep into the church. In other words, we want to win. Mm. Um, it's a zero-sum game. Mm. Either our rights are preserved or we lose them. Um, that's particularly true in the U.S. where it's a little unique with the Constitution and we have in our laws the protection of religious freedom, mm. really born out of the Church of England mm. and the struggle that the early Americans had there. The irony is now that those are being challenged, um, we're tending to want to fight for those. And I'm perplexed. I'm not sure in a gospel-oriented way, what do we do? What do we do when our rights are being affected? We still need to reach the world with love and with care, but we're in a fight. We're in a fight to preserve what we have. And uh, maybe the Lord is saying that's not the most important thing. Well, brother, two things. First of all, you know, I look across at the States and I see the way you fight, for example, for the unborn child. And I'm shamed by the way in England we haven't fought as we should mm. have done. There have been two million abortions in England and we have not fought as we should. So I do thank God for you and for the way in which people have contended and fought, um, particularly end of life and start of life as I look at it. So first, I, I give thanks. But secondly, we are called to love our enemies. And that is, that's why Muslim young men don't become Christians. I've got a friend who's a missionary in the Middle East, and he says, how you stop them becoming Christians is you tell them they've got to love their enemies. And that's what you do have to do. So I think that in the midst of this contending, and please go on doing it, 
you know, I, I sometimes listen and I think, are we trying to love even our enemies? It's yeah. this, I mean, Jesus on the cross, he's on the cross and he cries out for the people killing him. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Right. So, you know, I mean, Lord God, please help me to do that. But I suppose my only thought on it would be this. What does it mean to love my enemies in the midst of this contending? Don't stop contending. We've got to fight for the ability to preach Christ freely. But at the same time, how do I do this in a way that's loving and gracious? Well, Luke chapter 6 is so difficult, and that is the golden rule. But it's not just that one sentence. It's like the two paragraphs that lead into the statement of the golden rule. And I'd encourage everyone to read Luke chapter 6. It is the statement, love your enemy. And uh, it's hard to do, and especially when you're competing in that space for ideas, for expression, for freedom. Um, It can be hard to love those who are cursing you. But that's exactly the nature of God, isn't it? That's right. And I do think that is where, I mean, you know, the three gay couples on our street, and we're just trying to get to know them, to know their names, to find out, to work out what the pressures are. So there's got to be this humanity of connecting elsewhere. You know, do you both love baseball? Let's chat about the NFL. You know, that ability to connect, not just in the place we're contending, but connect as human beings and model how we do conflict. Yeah. I think it's a massive thing. And, you know, at the moment around the world, we are really, um, I think, with Islam, having to look at really what the Prophet Muhammad was about. And I am deeply suspicious of what he was about. Oh, yeah. You know, he had a sword called the Decapitator, Um, He had sex with multiple women. I know they were his wives, but at the same time that was happening. Uh, As I look at him, I don't trust him. I don't trust him to lead me. But as I look at Jesus, I do trust him. And I trust him, I think, primarily because I see him loving his enemies. And I know that's what the world needs. And so what I am saying is let's have that as the theme. And I'd ask you to pray for me in England because I can get bitter and twisted as we're in these battles. And, you know, I've got to keep seeking to Ask the Lord, please send your spirit and help me to do what I cannot do in myself because I'm so cross about this and to be gracious and to find out about them and to pray for them. And Mm. Yeah. You know, Rico, uh, it struck me in reading the word just where Peter in the garden pulls out the knife to defend the Son of God. Anybody, any man, I think, surely would want to do that, right? If you've been walking Mm. with the Lord, the Son of God, whom you've acknowledged as that, you would do that. But it was pre-Pentecost. It was before the Holy Spirit was available to humanity. Mm. He was working out of his flesh. And of course, the Lord rebuked him Mm. for pulling his sword and trying to, I think, cut the throat, not the ear of the guard. And Jesus said, you live by the sword, you're going to die by the sword. That is not the kingdom that that I represent. And then Stephen later, as you alluded to, Stephen, filled with the Holy Spirit, post-Pentecost, was able during his stoning, when they were throwing rocks at him, a brutal way to die. Uh, Saul, uh, who would become Paul, standing there kind of uh, urging the crowd on to stone Stephen, had a totally different response, which was that like of Christ, Mm -hmm. to say, don't hold this against them. And uh, I believe that's where he looked into heaven and saw the Lord standing at the right hand of the Father. there's a difference in those two approaches to humanity, isn't there? Well, there is, Jim. And I think people can tell. If, as we contend with them, they can see that we're for them, they can see this grace, they can see that there is this love, they can tell, they feel it. And we trust the Holy Spirit also to communicate that. So, you know, we do come in weakness and we've got to be battling to love. But if there is this 
this desire to be, you know, just putting one over people, they can tell that as well. And it just draws out the wrong thing. Mm. And, um, you know, I'm on a committee at the moment with the Archbishop of Canterbury in England, and I'm constantly struck by his, I mean, he is embattled on every front. And if I may say, the Episcopalian Church in this country has done him no favours. Uh, they are not following what he's calling them to do. And uh, they are going against what Scripture says in terms of... Um, uh, where we should be in terms of sexuality and it's making it very hard for Archbishop Welby but I tell you what he's a man of love as he contends with these huge problems he's got mm. and I've learnt from him to see his grace under pressure it's very impressive to see and you know he constantly says what does it mean to love our enemies in the midst of this what does it mean to be gracious and uh, it's been humbling watching him under that pressure and watching him behave and uh, I'd cover prayers for him as he seeks to lead the Anglican Communion and hold us to orthodoxy, yeah. which means that we are ruled by the word of God. Mm. And uh, this is a great battle. And um, I just want to say to the Episcopalian Church in this country, please come back to scripture. Please come back to what the Bible says and trust Jesus to know what's best for us in terms of our sexuality. Mm. Hmm. Come back to the scripture. That is great advice from Rico Tice. Man, that's where it's at. That's the answer to a culture that has strayed far from God and is looking for truth. And, you know, the bottom line is truth is truth, and you can't rewrite it. You can't uh, gussy it up. It is what it is, and you got to deal with it. And uh, that's the way to get things in order in your own life and those around you, your family, etc. This conversation with Rico has been so encouraging, and I hope it's helped you to feel better equipped to share your faith with friends and loved ones without fear of losing those relationships. Our culture is full of hurting people who desperately need us to have conversations about Jesus, even when it's uncomfortable. Uh, after Jesus was crucified, came back to life, and spent 40 days with his followers, his last words before leaving earth were, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, and to teach them all that he had commanded them. God has put specific people in our lives so we can show them who he is. And that's my mission here at Refocus. As we've heard from Rico today, I think one of the best ways to reach people is by listening to their stories and then by sharing humbly about our own weaknesses and our own journey. We're all sinners in need of God's grace. To read more from Pastor Rico Tice, get a copy of his insightful book, Honest Evangelism, How to Talk About Jesus Even When It's Tough. And before we get to our inbox question, let me encourage you to consider supporting uh, what we're doing here at the Refocus Podcast. We're a nonprofit, and our purpose is to help you make an impact on the culture. With the gift of any amount, I'll send you a copy of Rico's book as my way of saying thank you for supporting the ministry. Now for the inbox segment. Here's a voicemail from Megan. Hi, Jim. This is Megan. I have a couple of friends who come from broken homes and have a lot of pain and bitterness. How can I share the gospel with them without sounding condescending? Megan, it's awesome that there are friends in your life that uh, need encouragement from you. That's a good thing. And I would just encourage you to... Um, maybe help them better understand what it is they own, what it is the uh, person in their life that wounded them owns, and then what does God own? I did a broadcast on Focus on the Family with Kevin Thompson, and that was his advice, and it was so fog-cutting to hear that. And I think for those of us that suffered from others, uh, whether it was in childhood or whatever it might be, we can tend to hold on to that grievance and you know what? It's not healthy. And we've got to realize that we can control 
our emotions and what we own, but what they own is on them. And that begins to allow them to let go of that bitterness and of that pain, in my opinion. But Megan, that is great. Be a good friend to them. That's the best thing that you could do for them. If you have a question for me, please send a voicemail through the link in the show notes. This is your opportunity to interact with me, and I look forward to your question about engaging with the culture. Thanks for listening to Refocus with Jim Daly. You can help us reach more people by telling your friends and family. Also, like, listen, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Next time on Refocus, we'll start the new year with a good conversation with Brant Hansen. He shares about practicing forgiveness and finding freedom in Christ. When you get on the interstate and people cut you off, you shouldn't be shocked again. Yeah. I can't believe this. Can you believe people? Yeah, believe it. But I've got to adjust to reality and wake up and think, today I'm going to extend the forgiveness that God has given me toward other people, and I'm not going to be shocked by their behavior. That's coming up New Year's Day on the next Refocus with Jim Daly. Are you a pastor? Then you know ministry is full of challenges. But those challenges sometimes come from lies that you believe about your role and expectations of you. As a pastor, you and your spouse need to be refreshed and encouraged. And that's why Focus on the Family presents the Focused Pastor Couples Conference. Join us as we hear from Paul David Tripp, Dr. Greg Smalley, Ted Cunningham, and more. Mark your calendar to join us on October 28th through 30th right here at Focus on the Family in Colorado Springs. Visit thefocusedpastor.com slash refresh for more details.